Our church is phenomenally, ridiculously blessed to have Mike Ward acting as our CFO. He is our, our CFO over our finances as a church. Absolutely. And Mike has a really, really broad range of experience in the business world, in finance, in banking, in technology, in marketing. And all of these experiences give him such an incredible expertise to help us manage the financial resources that God entrusts to us and wants to see us use for his purposes. So we're incredibly blessed to have Mike and his wife, Lori, and their girls, Mason and Blake. But I think, I don't know if you've noticed this or picked up on this. If, if you hear Mike speak, you may have noticed he's not from around here. <laughs> I, and I don't, I don't think he mentioned it per se, but he's actually from Canada, eh? And it's great. Whenever Mike tells you that he's going out, he's not going out. He's going, ooh. And he'll never tell you what he's talking about. He's, he's going to tell you what he's talking about. And that's just kind of how he rolls. I remember one time last winter when it got really, really cold. It got into the 40s. Mike walked into the office, and he had on this, this ski cap that I'd never seen before. We don't, we don't do things like this in America. And I go, Mike, what is that on your head? He goes, oh, it's a toque. You put a toque on your head? It's a Canadian thing. I, I don't know. As a matter of fact, Mike is so Canadian, he came to the United States to play hockey in college at Liberty University in Virginia. That's how Canadian he really is. Now, I told you that to tell you this. Mike and his wife, Lori, in two years, if they choose to, they could apply for dual citizenship. Their, their residency, their residence is here in the U.S., obviously, but their citizenship is still in Canada. Now, dual citizenship would give them kind of a, a, a foot in both camps, if you will. They, they would be citizens of Canada. They would be citizens of the United States. They'd only have one passport, but they would have this, this dual citizenship thing going on. And I thought about Mike as we wrap up this series, Clarity in the Chaos. The idea of dual citizenship is actually exactly what it means to be a Christ follower in this world. If you go by the name follower of Christ, Christian, then you have dual citizenship. This idea of dual citizenship actually, I think, is the perfect place to land this series. Over the last few weeks, I think you'll agree, we've, we've kind of waded into and dived into some shark-infested deep, deep waters. Worldview, truth, um, belief systems, all, all the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. And, and if you're not careful, you could get so wrapped up in the minutia of these conversations that they could become all-consuming. I want to ask you just a quick question. This is just a curiosity question. This is not a scientific sample. How many of you are ready for the election to be over? I just thought I'd ask the question this morning, asking for a friend. I noticed we used to refer to election day. It's now election month. 
And it's just, it's, it's become just all-consuming for some people. Can I tell you that this week, my dual citizenship helped me personally not be consumed by the news and the election and what's going on and recounts and all that other stuff that I hear is going on out there in the world. This idea of dual citizenship is actually a gift from God. It is this, it's this tension that always exists in the life of a Christ follower between heaven and earth. It's the tension that Jesus gave voice to when he said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This, this tension between heaven and earth. And I know you may be thinking, I don't need any more tension in my life. Take the tension away, por favor. But may I suggest to you that this tension is actually a gift. This tension is actually the bringer of balance. This tension between heaven and earth in the life of a Christ follower is a, is a, it's a harbinger of health. It is the purveyor of peace in this world. This tension between heaven and earth is what makes sense of a crazy, insane world. No matter what happens around us, no matter what circumstances come into our lives, come into our nation, come into our world, this tension between heaven and earth, our dual citizenship, is what God uses to make sense out of the senseless. I want you to turn to your neighbor and give them some good news with a smile on your face. Everybody kind of sit up straight, look at your neighbor. If you're online, do it to somebody in the coffee shop. Just tell them, it's going to make sense. It's going to make sense. Jesus over and over and over again, explains this. I, I want to go today to Matthew chapter 6 to begin this conversation of this tension, th this dual citizenship idea. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is, is in the middle of the most famous sermon ever delivered, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is really introducing his ministry to the masses for the first time ever. He, he's explaining what he's about, what he's, what he's doing. And, and he's actually connecting the dots between the New Testament and the Old Testament. He says, listen, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I, I'm not here to, to demolish all of the old commandments, all of the old prophecies. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I'm here to fulfill them. Those things were just a a shadow of what was to come. And what was to come, Jesus said, was him. It, it was Jesus that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to. It is Jesus that everything in the New Testament is all about. And he uses this, this idea of dual citizenship to help his followers, to help his audience there on the hillside in the Galilean hills to experience to discern the peace of God that passes all perception and understanding. Matthew chapter 6, he says, listen, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Verse 33. 
Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and then live like it, and God will take care of all of your needs. You know what I think Jesus is saying here 2,000 years ago, but I think is incredibly relevant here in 2020? Whew. It's going to be okay. It's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. If, everybody say if. If you seek the kingdom of God above all else. So in order to understand this dual citizenship thing, we, we, gotta, we have to do a little kingdomology. We, we have to understand what this, this kingdom of God thing is all about because it, it's a phrase that if you've been around church or you've dug into the Bible at all, you may have seen it or heard of it. It may be a brand new concept to you, but it is critical to our understanding of how to live as followers of Christ, to understand the kingdom of God. I've got a really good friend in the Northwest, in, in the Seattle area, Kevin Gerald. And Kevin, Kevin's very astutely identified four things that have to be present for a kingdom to exist. Any kind of kingdom anywhere in the world. You have to have a king. There's got to be somebody who is functioning as the king. There has to be a territory. There has to be a government. There has to be a, a functioning government. And there have to be citizens. You have to have a king, a territory, a government, and citizens. And the kingdom of God is no different. Our king in the kingdom of God is Jesus. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. The government is the authority of God. It is what he has given us biblically. It is his leading. It is his personality. It is his power and authority. The territory is right here. It's, it's your life. It's my life. It's, it's the areas that we invite God into to have dominion, to be sovereign over our lives. Now, you may not be a follower of Christ yet, and, and I hope and I pray that we always always, always are a place where not yet followers of Christ are welcome and want to come and kick the tires and check things out. And, and as soon as I say the authority and the dominion of God, you're like, whoa, preacher boy, you better slow up because you're talking to the dominion and the authority. And I get it because, listen, I like to make my own decisions. I like to chart my own course and determine my own destiny. Believe me. But let me just, let me just tell you this. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, the dominion of God, the authority of God is always good. It's always good. Now, let's talk about, let's talk about some kingdomology. What, what are some things in, in kingdomology that we need to understand? Number one, the kingdom of God is real. The kingdom of God is real. The Bible says that one day, one day there will come a moment when 
every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Even those who don't believe in Christ as king, there will come a point where everything that has breath will acknowledge his kingship. We're not there yet. At this moment, at this moment, he is inviting people into that reality. He is inviting other people, new people, to discover the goodness and the power, the truth and the grace of his authority. Right now, it's an invitation. But there will come a moment when it's an imposition. There, there will come a moment when God will say, enough. And he will impose his authority. But right now is an invitation. You, you get the choice to accept it, to receive it, or to reject it, to, to walk away from it and not believe it. So it's important to understand that the kingdom of God is actually real. Number two, the kingdom of God is here and now. Jesus Christ, when he came to earth 2,000 years ago, ushered in the kingdom of God. He, he began this, this age where the, the authority, the territory of God's kingdom would be expanding heart by heart, life by life. And it is happening right now, but it has not yet been fulfilled. It's not yet complete, but it is here and now. <clears throat> Number three, the kingdom of God is eternal. The kingdom of God is eternal. No matter what happens in this world, no matter how good a day, how bad a day, how good a life, how bad a life you have, I have, our world has, the kingdom of God is eternal. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. He is eternal. So I think just that fact alone brings perspective. It helps us to understand, okay, I, I, can have, I can have a bad day. I can have a bad moment. I could, have, I could be having a bad life right now. But the kingdom of God is eternal. The kingdom of God will eclipse the here and the now. Number four, the kingdom of God is costly. The kingdom of God costs. It's not something to be taken lightly. When you ask, what does it cost? Just everything. It cost God the son of his, the, the life of his son, Jesus Christ. It, it, cost, it cost him his life on the cross. And, and here's what's fascinating about the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross in your place and in mine, he hung there suspended between heaven and earth. The, the great bridge builder, the gap minder, if you will. Jesus resolves this tension. Jesus is the solution to this tension. And, and Jesus is the one that paid the cost of the kingdom of God. Everybody do me a favor. Everybody put up three fingers just like this. Just put them up right in front of your face like this. <clears throat> because number five, I know this is three, but number five, the kingdom of God is worth it. Throw the W. <laughs> the kingdom of God is worth it. It is worth the cost. When you understand your dual citizenship, you understand what Jesus has done for you, you understand that it's worth living in this dynamic tension. 
And it's, it's, this, it's this living in the tension that I think can be so, so hard. But that's why we go back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. Make your first priority the kingdom of God in everything that you do. In everything that you do. How many of you are married? Let me just see a show of hands of the married folks in the room. Okay, for those of us who are married, how many of us have gotten sideways with our spouse in the last year? <laughs> Had to go way back, I know, for a lot of us. <laughs> okay, how many have gotten sideways in the last week? I'm just kidding, don't raise your hand. Because you may be still sideways. <clears throat> when you get sideways with your spouse... That's the time to seek first the kingdom of God. Watch this. When you get sideways with your spouse and you say, hmm, <laughs> I love you. Hmm. <laughs> I love you so, so much. Seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, God, he is clueless. You know it. I know it. And I want to tell him. But God, help me to love him in this moment like you want him to be loved through me. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek first, when you're in school this week, as a student, and you're not ready for the test, hypothetically, and you can see you can see the paper of your classmate who you know studies. In that moment, seek first the kingdom of God, the authority, the rule of God in your life, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. The book of Philippians speaks directly to what this looks like. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Above all, above all, again, Jesus said, seek first. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ, the gospel. Then, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Philippians 1.27, number one, how, how to live kingdomology. It's one thing to know about it. It's one thing to recognize it, but it's entirely another to walk it, to actually make it a reality. Number one, remind yourself where you're from. 
remind yourself where you're from. As a follower of Christ, we do not wage war as the, war, as the world wages war. We, we don't use the same tools that the world uses. We, we don't use deception. We don't use division. We don't use mean-spiritedness. We don't bully. We're the bride of Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Remind yourself where you're from. The night before I left home to go to college, I grew up in Houston, was coming here to the University of Texas. I'll never forget, my mom came upstairs into my room. I was loading the car. We were going to leave the next morning. And my mom walked into the room, and she said, I just want you to know, I love you and I believe in you. And then she said this. She said, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And so for the next five years, I never made a mistake in college. <laughs> I've thought about that a lot because I made a lot of mistakes in college. My college career, I, I, didn't, I didn't party a lot. I, I really didn't. I didn't. I didn't party at all, really. But the mistakes that I made without exception happened when I forgot where I was from. They, they happened when I wasn't sure of who I was. As a follower of Christ, you have been bought and paid for by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Remember where you're from. Remember where you're from. And number two, <laughs> act like it. Act like it. If you're a follower of Christ, I've said this before, if you're a follower of Christ and you steal office supplies or you cut corners at work, don't tell anybody you go to church here. <laughs> Remember where you're from and act like it. Live in a manner, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, you can also, you, you can also go so far to the other extreme that you, you're so spiritual. That, that you're, just, you're just walking on clouds, man. You just, whew. I like what Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. said. He said, some people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. <laughs> Don't be that guy or girl. Remember where you're from and act like it. Number three, stand together. Stand together. Man, that's, it's amazing to me the, the power of the church, the bride of Christ, the, the community of faith, standing together. What did Paul say? Together with one spirit and one purpose. We're, we're together, even if you have to be online. But man, when we, we come together, I do. It's so funny. Every week we see a few more people, a few more people, a few more people, and, and it's like, yeah, we're, we're doing this thing, man. We're, we're relaunching a church. Here we go. I, that, that gets, we're standing together for the most part. But we're doing it. Hebrews 10, 24. 
let us consider. Let's be intentional and deliberate and mindful of how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Stand together, together with one spirit and one purpose. What's our spirit? What's our purpose? The very last thing he says. Number four, tell people about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. He says, together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith. Listen, may we all be as passionate about Jesus as we are our politics. I'm telling you, so many of them, man, you need to spend as much time online leading people to Christ as you do arguing for your political convictions. Please. At the most, we're talking about eight years of somebody. But we're talking about eternity. I said last week, we've never endorsed a candidate or a party. We don't. Because what we're about, and I say we, the bride of Christ, is bigger, is bigger than politics. Politics is temporal. It's important. It's important. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It matters. But in God's economy, the determining factor has nothing to do with politics or race or privilege, or any of it. The determining factor in people's lives is lost and saved. That's why we're here. You want to change the world? Lead people to Jesus. Jesus changes hearts. This is about eternity and where people spend it. You want to donate to campaigns? That's fine. That's not, yeah. Awesome. But we're talking about eternity, which is, again, why you can kind of step back from the madness and the insanity and just kind of let it happen. You, you don't have to ride that pendulum. Came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> well, let that visual sit for just a second. <laughs> I love you too much to lie to you. Perspective produces peace. Perspective produces peace. And peace. Peace is a double-edged sword because peace is personal and private. What happens in my heart? How, how amped up, angsty do I get? But it's also peace between us. It's, it's, it's that effort to unite. It's that, it's that reaching out to go, man, I love you, period. Period. I love you. Philippians 3.18. Paul's wrapping up this letter to the church in Philippi. And by the way, the church in Philippi, they would have understood dual citizenship. 
The church in Philippi was the first church planted in Europe. Think about that. But they were still under the domain of Rome, the Roman Empire. So yes, they were Philippians, but they were under the rules, regulations, and laws of Rome. And so when Paul is, is teaching them and writing this to them, they understand that. He says, now I have told you often before. And I say it again with tears in my eyes. That there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Again, don't miss the heart of Paul with tears in my eyes. Remember when he was roaming through the city of Athens and he saw all of the idols? And the Bible says that he was deeply disturbed. He was distressed because of the idolatry. He, he, he grieved for the misleading of people, for people who were deceived. And with, with tears in his eyes, he goes, there are people who, who are enemies of the cross and they, they listen only to their appetites. They listen only to their reason. They listen only to what they want. And they're, they're headed for destruction. They're, they're headed for eternity separated from God. That's, that's not what God wants. First Peter says that God is slow and patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting all to come to repentance. That's the will of God. And, and so if you have heard this, if you now know this to be the heartbeat and the will of God, you've got a choice to make. Will you receive that truth and grace? Or will you reject it? Will you give it the Heisman and stiff arm it and run away? I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to invite everyone, no matter where you are personally and spiritually, to consider this kingdomology perspective. This kingdomology perspective. Because it, it has many, 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 many layers. But at its core, it comes down to a question. And how you answer this question, how I personally answer this question. Have I acknowledged Christ as my king? Is, is he the sovereign of my life? 
That's, that's the bottom line. If you're here today and you have made that choice, led by the Spirit of God, then I want to invite you to be praying with everything that you've got. For a friend, for a family member, maybe somebody sitting close by. But if you're here today or maybe watching online and you've never chosen to respond, to recognize the authority and sovereignty of Christ as King, then as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. To pray, to begin this relationship with God. To begin to live in this eternal and here and now perspective. If that's you, then just silently right where you are, pray something like this in your own words. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. In this moment, I recognize that you are the king of kings. You are sovereign. And Lord, I invite you to be sovereign in my life. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. And I will follow you. Lord, I confess my sin to you, all of it, holding nothing back. In order to receive your forgiveness, your grace and truth. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. For just a moment, if you would, remain with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If that was your prayer, this is the greatest moment of your life. And as a church, we want to help with every moment that follows from, from this moment. In just a minute, we'll tell you kind of how that proceeds, but right now, if, if you would, if you just prayed that prayer, if you're online, I'm going to ask you, if you will, go to the Connect card and let us know that God did that in your life. If you're in the room, I want to ask you quietly, if you would, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and hold it up in the air for just a moment as a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And know that as a church, we're with you. We want to help with what's next. And our family tradition around here is, as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.